0: Welcome to this edition of Spotlight, I'll be your host Rogan. If this is your first time checking out Spotlight, this is an offshoot of the Prognotes podcast, where we chat with some incredible artists and musicians in the progressive rock scene. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you to all of the Prognotes patrons for helping these episodes happen. Check out what the benefits are of becoming a patron at patreon.com slash prognotes. Today we have on Robert from 6x6 to talk about their debut self-titled album, uh, which I'm really excited for people to hear
1: here. Uh, why don't we start with you introducing yourself, Robert? Hey, Rogan. It's good to talk to you. I am Robert Berry. They might know me from the band Three with Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer, 1988. Uh, we toured Canada and in the U.S. Uh, since then, I've Managed to work with all kinds of great people. I was with Steve Howe in GTR before that. Toured with Ambrosia a couple of years. Uh, played with Greg Kinn, if you know who that is, you might not know. He's got the breakup song, uh 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 uh. uh. Not progressive at all. Two chords, three <laughs> chords. Um, and uh, as of late, I did uh, two albums that were supposed to be with Keith Emerson, and in the middle of the first one, the 3.2, The Wolves That Changed. Uh, we lost him to suicide, so um, I did a few albums of that material, and I, my manager said, what are you going to do now? Keith's gone. I said, well, I don't want to go in a keyboard direction. I want to go in a guitar direction, and he mentioned to me Ian Crichton. I went, oh my God, but would he be interested? And evidently, Ian's a big fan of mine. I mean, <laughs> no, actually... <laughs> You know, he knew who I was, I knew who he was. Uh, We we just hit it off once we met and talked and started exchanging ideas. So that's sort of my history in, in the short.
0: Awesome. Well, getting into our first question here, you've each gained acclaim in diverse backgrounds on your individual instruments, but what connected you to make this group possible? And how have you blended each of your unique tastes and musical upbringing into this album?
1: Interesting that my manager, when he asked me which direction I wanted to go, and I said, well, you know, I, you don't get better than Keith Emerson, so my next thing, it needs to go guitar, but who do you find that's got the genius of Keith Emerson? And Keith, no matter if people try to copy him or whatever, they, you know, get the same keyboards, whatever, they never sound like Keith, but he always sounded like Keith. He had this thing, whatever that was, you know? And... I thought, well, gee, who's the guitar player going to be that plays parts, isn't just power chords and and smoking guitar solos, kind of. I want to do something that has parts, like a Steve Howe would do, but more powerful, more like if Jeff Beck and Steve Howe were cloned together, right? And uh, when Ian was brought up, I thought, oh my god, that's the one perfect guy in the world that would be great to work with, not knowing if we'd get along or not, but that was my idea of who I wanted to work with. Now, Ian's idea of what he wanted to do, since he's in Saga, and Saga is a very keyboard-heavy band. Sometimes there's three people playing keyboards up there. He wanted to do a trio, unbeknownst to me, guitar, bass, drums, We get out the freedom and, and really, I call it reckless abandonment. Just let it fly. All the talent, he has so much more to offer than I even dreamed of. I was a Saga fan. But everything is sort of quantized and perfected. It's a little different in Saga. This, this is much more open. And he has brought, oh my God, so much to the table. that I wasn't expecting, um, as good as he is, it's even better. For me and what I was dreaming, I'd love to do. Now, with Nigel, Nigel and I were in GTR with Steve Howe back in 1987. And you know, in my mind, since I'm a, a prog guy, um, mostly, you know, I wasn't with Greg Kin a few things, Ambrosia's not, but they, they started out prog. But my mind was, gee, listen what Cozy Powell did to ELP, heavy hitter, right? Listen what Alan White did to Yes, heavy hitter. Um, if I could find that guy, and I think back, the top of my list was Nigel Glockworth, and he plays in Saxon, which is a heavy metal band, but He's a prod music fan, and I worked with him in GTR, so I know he can play, and he's really great. But we needed that heavy-handed, you know, really punchy uh, rhythm. And I called him, he said, yes, I'd love to, right? He wants to expand a little bit. That was the reason the guys were chosen, but it wasn't like it was put together like a project. We wanted it to be a real band. We took a year to make it a real band developing material, writing, the whole thing. And we were the best kept secret for that year because nobody knew we were working together except for my wife, Rebecca, and of course, Ian and Nigel's wife, too, But you know, and the manager. That was it. So it just came together so good that we had to approach a record company and see what they thought. And our number one choice, again, was Inside Out Records. And they said, oh, we're not signing anybody. And Ian knows that Thomas. He goes, Well, let me send you a song. And Thomas called right back. We need to talk. So they were really interested. So that's sort of how it came together and how it blossomed into what we're doing now.
0: Awesome. So, and, Uh, along that point like you all hail from like a wide range of points on the globe like from canada the u.s to england uh across this expanse how do you go about like collaborating creatively together like it must mostly take place online but like what do you use to communicate ideas and coordinate with each other and and along those
1: lines you know, I get asked that question all the time because Keith Emerson and I worked the same way. He was in Santa Monica. It's still a six-hour drive. Unlike you, that's going to be a 25-hour drive for me, right? Whatever, 30 But you put on your screen. We said hello, and I said, look at those guitars you got, dude. What's going on? And we started talking. It wouldn't have been any different if you were right in the room with me. I see you. You know, we're talking about what we're doing during the day, talking about our guitars, keyboards, whatever it is. There's really no wall anymore. There's no distance in anything. Um, as long as you can see people, too, because it's like in texting, you know, a lot of people, you can lose the thread. And What do you mean I got my hair's bad? And they mean, oh, your hair's good, man. You got bad hair. Oh, it's good, right? You don't know that in a text. And we found it very enlightening to sit here, and we, Ian has a studio in his house. I have a commercial studio here, Campbell, California, middle of Silicon Valley. And just really great to sit and, and just write and talk to each other. As if, you know, if I had my guitars on the wall, you'd feel like we're in the same room. Mm-hmm. So that, it, it works. It, it really, it, it's almost the distance makes it better. You know, you can take more chances when you're sitting right next to somebody sometime. Well, I better, better be cool here. I don't want to do something really dumb. But you know, right now, like I could be drawing something you wouldn't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it did work out really well. Um Ian would send me these guitar, these little pieces of guitar parts that were just genius level stuff that as soon as I heard it, the rest of the song would come out of me, the parts that I write, the lyrics and everything, you know. It was really an amazing uh, I didn't think I'd get that. I got that with Keith Emerson. We had that part going on where I did the part he didn't do and he didn't do the part I did, you know, and it was a great team. I have that with Ian writing wise and now we're working on some of Nigel's songs too for the second album. So,
0: Sweet. All right. So yeah. a little bit of Formative stuff, where did the name Six by Six come from? And like why the capital X's in that? Like, do those have any significant meaning to the
1: the the band title? I'm glad you you saw that because we had a list of a hundred names on a sheet and we're all talking about it. And there's some way like nobody really liked anything. I like the S in Saxon and saga, and I especially like the X in Saxon. And I went, wow. I'm looking through things. So I came across this the length of human DNA is six foot six. Now, I haven't been able to find that again, but I found <laughs> that one. I went, oh my God, six foot six, what a great name. And sure enough, it was taken. Mm-hmm. And the guys really liked it. They're all disappointed. So I wrote down the most disgusting, vulgar name that no one would ever use in a band. I said, guys, look it up. And sure enough, Nadja goes, bollocks, there's a band called that. It was really nasty, oh, you know? Geez. It was awful. I said, well, I didn't do it to be disgusting, but everything's taken. So I thought about it, and I said, what about we use six by six? It's changed the foot. And it was Ian that said, just think of it on when they're announcing come on stage, six foot six. Doesn't sound as good as, here they are, six by six. Because the foot do sound foot." You know, I said, "Wow, well, you're right. That does sound good." And we just all agreed that that'd be the way to do it. And Of course, the capital S and X is me loving the way that S and the X looks in the logo.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of it, it's almost mirror images itself. Like with the S X S X, like it, it it has that sort of sprawl across that 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 uh, the the logo definitely like uh, lends itself to to like that sort of graphic design.
1: I think so, and of course, it really has nothing to do with my band with Keith Emerson and Carl Palmers called Three, but it is a multiple of three. <laughs> we got that going on too.
0: Yes. All right, well, it sounds like you've already got some big tour plans in the works. Uh, what are some of the things you're hoping to present in a live environment uh, and from like visual themes to additional inter- instrumentalists or, or beyond that?
1: Right now, we need to make sure our footprint grows fast. Like as I said to you earlier, you know, for a year we're the best kept secret. Only eight weeks ago, that anybody find out because the record company, the manager, all of us swore we're not telling anybody but our wives, right? And eight weeks ago, we put out the first single and it took three and a half, maybe three weeks to get to 75,000 views. It's heading toward 100 now. The second single came out three weeks ago. It's at 75. I didn't look recently, but it's probably 77 or so now, heading toward that 100,000. This third single comes out August 5th and it needs to do the same and that grows our footprint um, so people can just be aware of us uh, the record company feels good about that because we want a lot more views and stuff than that but we're reaching like a hundred thousand people in eight weeks maybe more than we were a secret before so we're thinking that it's going well and the record company feels it's going well at that point after the album's out on the 19th and people get it and they get to hear Songs I'm excited about, like Reason to Feel Calm Again and, uh, and Upside Down. Um, I just think people are going to really like those tunes. Uh, then we talk about hopefully in the first quarter of next year doing a tour, and it'll probably be Europe. It could be in, in Canada. It won't be in the US probably, although we will rehearse at my studio and maybe do one warm up day here um, just to sort of work out the bugs. It's going the way it needs to go and the way we're hoping it would go. But it still needs to get a lot bigger, you know, to really uh, get that tour going. Although the the, the tour manager, the venues, the, they're all like excited about it because, of course, Saga and Saxon been on tour, and they're seeing what the guys are doing with this other band. Interesting to me, it, I feel like everybody wants this band to do well. We're getting all positive reviews, but it's more than that. It's like a we we'll call it euphoric, kind of like, man, this is good. We hope you come to tour. We want this? We want you to be successful. We like the combination. You know, it's different. It's it's got some retro stuff. It's got new stuff, and it feels like they want us to be successful. So that that's means a lot to the concert promoters too. Well, there's that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. How about from like. A visual standpoint like do you have any like sort of visual cues and themes that you want to like portray with this band uh and uh, will you have it like just be the three of you or are you going to bring along like uh like guest musicians like sort of uh like session players or whatever or uh, just stick with with you guys
1: well we'll start with ian's uh dream he wants to be a three-piece you know and you look at Rush, you look at Cream, you look at you know, ZZ Top, you look at them. There's been a lot of success um, with three pieces. We all get along famously. That uh, makes it easy. Only hard for me. You know, I do play keyboards, and uh, I'll be playing bass guitar mostly and singing. I'm a lead singer, but I'll be doing the Getty Lee, basically. I'll have to run to the keyboard, left-hand bass, when the guitar solos are going on, and a few other things. But I've done it before. I can uh, I can do that again. My thought, and the guys are starting to warm up to it, is on Save the Night, the second single, there's female background singers. On China, the third single, there's fem- female background singers. And it just adds a dimension to it. And where we wouldn't have any other musicians the playing stuff, we're thinking about having two female background singers to sing the harmonies. And... Uh, maybe even beat a little drums on the uh, reason to feel calm again, which has kind of a tribal thing to it, you know. Um, that, that's a thought. And my thought is that every corner of the world we play, and even smaller than that, let's say we're West Coast, California, minute, anyway, West Coast, um, we'll find two girls from cover bands, well-known, whatever they are. Record company says that we're working on signing them. We'll find two girls on the West Coast that will sing with us. We go to the East Coast, We'll find two girls there the sing with us and, and do six dates, 10 dates, whatever we do. In Canada, we'll find two. In UK, um, we'll find two. And we'll give people a chance, at least these female background singers, at getting a little press because their local area will want to say, hey, look it, girl does good, you know? She got in there sing with this band that's uh, touring around. And it's, I think it'd be fun to do. Um, we wouldn't have to take let's say two background singers from the LA area or you know San Francisco here around the whole world with us. And
0: and, and And then I bet you run into stuff with like visas and stuff as well too. It's a little harder to (laughs) like the the more people you have. Yeah.
1: It's, it's expensive to tour. Um, it does make it a lot harder. Um, the girls need special accommodations and stuff, which isn't a problem, Mm -hmm. but you know, if we're not going from California to, to England or something, it's just, it's just better, but it's really about the opportunity and that it's different, you know, that they get to share in it, whoever it may be. Now, that, that's, that's my thought, and the band likes that idea now. Um, our hope is to not have any extra players. It's all on me to get the keyboards in the background going on playing bass. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh,
0: my goodness. All right, so along those lines, too, so sticking as a trio, how do you go about filling out the harmonic space of a piece between just the three of you. Like is your process to write for each of your instruments to make them sound as big as possible and translatable to live performance or to like fill in a lot of that space with like overdubbed layers and stuff?
1: Yeah, the um, the album itself, the guitar sound is big and it's up front. and we worked really hard um, to get that sound and Ian, of course, works really hard at filling in what he needs to fill in without just playing power chords and all distorted, you know? It's, it's not... It's jing, jing, jing. It's got some, some space and some sound. You can hear the strings on the guitar, the metal of them. It's just not all blasted across the distortion. It's a little bit of a mindset change for me that I have to... Um, psychologically, it sounds weird, but psychologically, I'm used to playing in very big keyboard bands there's not a bigger sound in the world than Keith Emerson, you know, and Jeff Downs back in the GTR days. I mean, they're big sounds, and I look at ZZ Top. They sound great. They're not unful, but they're not super crowded and full too. Um, way back at Cream, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, man, that that was not missing anything, you know, and Rush just blows me away. I mean, I. I Okay, how do they do that, you know? And I don't believe they got people backstage, they're they're doing it themselves. So it's a mindset where things can be a little bit emptier, more air in the sound, almost where you can put your hands through the holes in it, but as a whole, it covers everything it needs to. So that's that's what I'm hoping. Um, we haven't rehearsed yeah. yet, but uh, I'm sure it's gonna work out. I and mean, especially ZZ Top, you know, that's pretty simple stuff and they sound full. Mm-hmm
0: yeah you have to almost like really think in terms of your arrangement how you're going to like fill in those spaces rather than have it like bolstered by just like a whole bunch of layers of, of instruments right because like you you want to go more yeah. like you want to fill in that harmon- that harmonic space uh with like just the the three instruments you have rather than than what you like what you can do by by just slapping everything in there
1: Yes, and that was part of the guitar sound, too, because it needed that low-mid, but not that muddy kind of rumbling heavy metal kind of super kind of low stuff, you know? It needed to have a strong low-mid, but also the clarity of, like I say, the strings coming through, because Ian's playing is very orchestrated. Then, of course, Nigel is laying down things so solid, and you could just count on him like a clock, you know? He's just right there and that alone, I mean, look at some of the hip hop and rap stuff. All well, it is is drums. And that doesn't sound empty. So maybe let's we'll have Nigel play and uh, Ian and I will just sing. Yes. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Um, it, really, especially the rap stuff is just a drum machine. Yeah, just 808s. A lot of the hip hop is mostly you know, there's bass, there's drum machine, and the hip hop stuff, and there are all kinds of vocals going around. And, and it's, you never miss anything, it's sort of getting in that mindset. So we're not going to be doing that, yes. <laughs> but we're going to be, you know, I think we're going to do what we do the way we do it, and um, I think it's going to come across. Of course, you know, when it goes to guitar solos and things, I'll have to get some left-hand bass and some keyboard with the right hand going to keep it all going in full. But it's, I've done it before.
0: Yeah, and I know too, like, from being one of the biggest Rush fans, just <laughs> that just how much, like, or just a trio can can just... Fill fill the space in in yeah. sound
1: yeah, and you know the guitar runs the gamut in Rush too, but it's always full you know and it's and it's clear it's not heavy metal kind of fuzzed together and you mm-hmm. know yeah and,
0: and like stuff like Alex Lifeson's like sus four chord whatever that he like invented to like really there's a lot more going on there harmonically than than just like your standard sort of power chord most of the time, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, well, that is
1: all the questions
0: I have for you. Thank you so much for coming on, Robert. Mm -hmm. It's been a pleasure.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Um, Any guy that's got more than one guitar is a friend of mine. (laughs) Nice, (laughs) all right. I collect them. If you go on my website, you have to go on the menu, and it's sort of hidden, but the, the guitar collection is there. I have 130 guitars, and I have some that are so special. Eddie Van Halen signed one on the wood before it was made cool. in 93. It's one of his first, you know, the, the blog one he was playing. And um, then Sammy Hagar signed one. I was working with him, signed one on the wood because Eddie signed it on the wood. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Steve Miller, a guitar, he signed and did some artwork for me. Just all kinds of, I'm just a guitar nut. So um, some next time, if there wasn't a session going on right now, I'd walk you through the guitar room, because I have about 20 I use all the time for sessions and stuff, and we'll, we'll get together again. We have a graphic novel coming out, you know, on this Oh, album. that
0: would be cool. Awesome.
1: It's the guy that does it, he's working with Peter Gabriel, he's working with Steve Hackett right now, uh, one of the guys from Star Trek. And he got a hold of me, he said, I'm a big fan of your music, I'd like to do something. I said, oh, I got this 6 by 6 thing, wait till you hear this. We've turned the album, we're changing the order of a few songs into like a rock opera. All the songs fit the story, the, his drawings, right? and I can't show them to you now because I'm on my phone instead of my iPad, but amazing, this guy's the real deal. And it just went up actually um, today on social media, being advertised and and." out to the world that it's going to be a companion piece to the album but it's out we're out October, August 19th this is the end of September that it comes out for delivery so yeah check it out if you like that kind of thing it's really good Yeah.
0: so was the album pretty like structured in terms of story then like was there a sort of a narrative thing you were trying to tell in the album or did you like think of it afterwards and then just sort of like piece together what
1: I wrote each song as Ian sent me little guitar parts and we talked about different things and when J.C. Baez is the name of the, uh, the artist when he contacted me and wanted to do this and committed to it I had to well he said well we need a story and, okay I don't write stories I write songs <laughs> I said well give me a week I'll think about it and sure enough once I changed the order of the songs and looked at what it could be it turns out this this graphic novel is about a guy who he's looking for like kindness and beauty in the world because everything looks ugly and harsh to him and by the end he goes through all these demons and all this stuff and by the end he realizes it's the way he thinks the way he looks he he's not affecting his circle of influence in a positive way and it's sort of you are what you think about he was thinking about all the bad things and once he realized a lot of his friends other people are thinking about good things, and that's why their life is happy. At the end, he realizes, this anyway, it, just, it turned out so good. I, I'm just shocked that it turned out the way it did. And JC said, this is a great story. You sure you haven't written stories before? No, and I said, and it's based off, because at the end of each chapter, the lyrics for the songs there, and it fits perfectly. It's really, sad. it's like a rock opera, but it wasn't planned at all.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Oh my goodness! Yes, yeah. I can't wait for people to get their hands on this album now.
1: <laughs> Got to hear it all. Yeah, me after too. Being
0: so secret,
1: uh, I'm. You can tell, like I can blab forever, but I'm so yes. excited, and I've landed with some really good partners that are like just fun guys to hang with too. It's just not that you know all the bands have been fun, but these guys, I, it I just feel like a band of brothers, kind of where it's just really it's easy. You know, no ego. Everybody has their thing and uh, mutual respect. And a lot of times, somewhere in a band, there's an ego. There's some kind of problem that you know, and you just let it ride. You don't worry about it. But it's sure nice when there's nothing like that going on, until we get a tour manager on the road, and then they're kind of tough. You know, <laughs> but everybody can hate him. We can band together again and hate yes. the tour. Oh, actually, we got a really good guy, so we're good. Awesome.
0: Well. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for
1: coming on. I uh, enjoyed talking to you.
0: We would like to thank you so much for listening to this edition of Spotlight. If you enjoyed the episode or learned something new, please subscribe. If you'd like to hear more interviews and get more prog rock content, you can become a special Prognotes patron at Patreon.com/slash/Prognotes. Join that if you want to ask some of your favorite artists questions to be featured in the episode. Also, come join our Discord community to chat with like-minded folk and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find this all through the link in the description. We have a special episode planned for next week that piggybacks off of this one, so stay tuned. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of Prog Rock. The next Spotlight will be up on October 11th, and Destin and Drew will be back with another episode on the Prog Notes feed on October 15th. See you on Discord. Thanks.